Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Wildcast. It's been a couple of weeks since the Spring Cup came to an end and the dust has settled on the Spring Ice Hockey fixture list for the Wildcats and the teams in the National. There's been some few games uh, in the North and the South, but generally things are coming to a slight end, but also in the North and the South. There's more tournaments, there's more hockey. But anyway, we're joined again by uh, by Tom and uh, Joe Scutz has come back on again. So guys, uh, how are you both? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, good to be st- still going through, you know, into the, into the spring and yeah, ready to, ready to talk hockey. How are you? I had hockey. I did. I travelled all around the country again. It felt weird, and now I'm not again. You did. But... So that's, that, that seems like a, a a great place to start. So um, yeah. How how was being back in a rink? It, it's weird. You forget how empty those places are when there's not people milling around outside or indoors. It's bizarre. I mean. Solent, as most people who have been there know, is the equivalent of your average garden shed. It's minuscule, it's tiny, and we can fit 300 people in on a good night. To have it empty is just weird. It's Even though it's small, it still felt somehow bigger, the fact that there was no one there. And if anybody did watch the streams, I know Tom did. Ben, I think you tuned in for a couple when you could, when there was no swing game going on. Like we, we were fortunate the fact that we could build a makeshift gantry above centre ice. I know people said they didn't seem to like the whole above ice shot that we had because it was the only shot we could get. <laughs> it's the, it was the only place where you could do it. And I'd much rather have something where you can actually see the players and be able to tell who was who rather than what other teams had where it was zoomed all the way back and you were in miles away from the action and focusing on zooming in. But no, it was a fun five weeks, and I'm now sad that obviously I don't get to do it again. I've enjoyed my four games of commentary, and that will probably be it for me. And and Tom, um, yeah, cool. well, obviously, obviously, um, I'm the one person in this podcast who hasn't hasn't unfortunately been able to go into a rink. Um, for those who those listeners who maybe aren't aware, Joe is obviously the voice of the Solent Devils, um, Spring and National South 2 Spring Cup or whatever it was called. I can't actually remember the, the official name of the tournament, but the um, Solent Devils commentary, along with a um, Wildcats cult favourite, Dan Weller-Evans, by his side. So, you know, definitely um, some worth going back to listening to some of that commentary, some of those games, some of that commentary. I think it's all on YouTube. So there's a plug there for the Devils. Um, and obviously we all know that Ben was the kind of face of the Wildcats coverage so I'm obviously slightly envious of the two of you for being able to actually go into the rink and watch some live hockey inside an ice rink because that's something that I haven't done in quite a long time but it was nice to be able to you know at least get some on the laptop and you know be able to be able to watch and enjoy the games so yeah. Obviously Ben I know it's obviously different for you obviously you knowing the link centre well and all that must have still been really weird just to be there. Oh, and obviously you've had it for months of just it, you're you're doing things you're not used to doing. Like I had to do commentary, you were doing the interviews. It was just bizarre. It was so strange. And Tom, I'm just going to pick up on one of your points. I know you said you were envious of Joe and I being in a rink, but I promise you, 
to the like the day I die, you will never be envious of the fact that we had to do COVID tests. At yes. that point, you were much happier rather sit at, at home or on the laptop. But no, yeah, Joe, you're right. It was, it was, it was bizarre. It was, it was little things for me. It was, I've been watching games in those rinks for fifteen odd years, and I don't think I've ever watched as much hockey stood rinkside as I ever have been now because the the restrictions were as simple as it was at the link. I don't know, don't know about you, but it was pretty much here's a two meter by two meter box where the the media guy is like that that's your area no one's going to come within two meters of you and you need to do what you need to do in that box and watch hockey and it was up the last couple of games we were even stood filming the game on the the rinkside camera it was strange but yeah don't get me wrong I, I, I loved it and let's let's talk spring cup um Sheffield uh they they just about won uh what was what was your guys take on the uh, the dog's narrow win at the top of the table there um, yeah, narrow in one word for it, I suppose. Um, unbeaten through the entire competition, possibly the other. But, I mean, obviously the best team won. Um, I don't think there's anyone who would reasonably be able to argue that the Steel Dogs weren't the best team on paper or the best team on the ice. Um, they, were, they, were, they were pretty much the class act in basically every position throughout the um, tournament and yeah they fully deserved to win we saw we saw how awesome they could be on their night and you know obviously everyone talks about Lee and Kirk but they just it was the depth through the lineup as well you know they had so many guys with a lot of experience and a lot of talent and yeah they were they were they were clearly the best team and they fully deserved to win I mean I think that last game I really thought for two periods we might just might you know, end that winning, that perfect streak right at the end. You know, we the, the Wildcats really stuck with them all the way through that game. It was just that third period. You know, Liam Kirk turned it on, got a couple of goals, and it was always going to be hard once we fell behind for the first time to, you know, really push back, pull back in that game. And Joe putting your NIHL stats head on it, uh, the Steel Dogs. I mean, obviously, the first one, the key point is anyone listening to this is obviously don't draw too much into the series. It was a complete anomaly. It will, it'll always be a complete anomaly. The standard of the Brits players playing down had a great effect on it. You just have to look at the Steel Dogs for an example of it. Liam Kirk, as I said, everyone will rave about him. All the points he scored across those 12 games would have worked out to about a 106-point season in a usual National League season, which is five points more than Jason Hewitt got last year. It's six more than Aaron got. It was ungodly to put that streak on. I don't know how well he's going on in the Elite Series at the moment. I haven't paid too much attention to it. But that kid should not be playing at that level again until he's Tony Hand age. I don't want to see him until he's 44 and has thousands of points playing somewhere else. Like That should be the only time we see him back. Like Tom said, the depth they had obviously shone through. Again, other than Ben O'Connor, you've got to imagine none of them are coming back. You're not going to see John O'Phillips. You're not going to see Alex Graham. You're not going to see Kirk again. The defence was solid. Again, obviously, it helps when you have people like Ben Morgan, Lewis Bell, Tim Smith, all solid D-men who know their role in that team, know their job, and always helps when you have someone that you can bring in, like a Ben O'Connor, who's going to score at two points a game for you. Like, if he is back next year, which by all hints they've given, it looks like he will be, 
there's your MVP of the league right there and then. He is not just the best defenseman in the league. I'd argue he would be the best player in the league, without a doubt. And you have to give it up for the goaltending, really. Dimi Zamozdra only played four games, 2.33 goals against average. Jordan Lorde played seven of the last eight, 2.7 goals against average. Those uh, that was two, those are two solid numbers that win you titles, and they did. And I think more praise has to be given as well to those two rather than the forwards and the point scoring they got. Yeah. Um, to follow up on that point about Kirk, I've just had a quick look at the Elite League series stats. He's currently the top British point scorer in that that with nine points in five games, just ahead of Kieran Long and Rob Dowd. And is this the pretends to be shocked moment now? Yeah, and he's second overall behind um, Tanner Eberle. So, you know, that's the class he's, he's got. He's gone straight in there and carried on that form of, you know, absolutely lighting it up. And on O'Connor, well, before we move on, just, I mean, my gut feeling is I think there's a really good chance he'll go back. I think he's made a lot of hints about the work-life balance of playing National League hockey compared to the Elite League. We know he's not going back to Sheffield, but we know he's very much based there. You know, is he going to be tempted to move away to stay in the Elite League? I don't know. If he stays in Sheffield, I think you're right. He's the best player in the league. He's the MVP. I would argue he's probably the best player we've had in the second tier in a long time. I know we've had, you know, the Jonathan Weavers and the Tony Hans, but I think at this stage of the career that Ben O'Connor's at, he's 32 years old. He could play for another seven, eight years if, or, you know, if he, if he wants to, if that's what he wants to do. You know, you're getting Ben O'Connor, not necessarily in his prime, but certainly close to his prime. And yeah, if he stays in Sheffield, that is a huge, huge coup for the dogs and for the league. Uh, going on that point as well, so I'll leave it for Ben and I'll ask him the question then. If Ben O'Connor stays in Sheffield, is he the best British player at this level ever? In, term, in terms of at the, his age of his career, we all saw Tony Hand, we've all seen the Kieran Longs, we've all seen that kind of stuff. Would Ben O'Connor be the best British player ever at this level? I would say yes, because no other British player at this level really has had a shot at making a national team. And I think with Ben O'Connor, even after not playing in the Elite League for a year, not playing in this Elite Series, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he is top-line defence for GB when they play Russia in a few weeks' time in the Worlds and is quarterback in the power play like he has for the last four, five, six years uh, for Team GB and made it successful. And I don't think, obviously, playing at the Elite League would give him the... Uh, how do I word it? Like the 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 kind of exposing himself against that top end talent, but you're not going to get that in the elite league to take on the guys like Russia. It, it, it yes, the national league is a step down from the elite league, but Ben O'Connor's 32 years old. He knows how to prepare for a tournament like that. He knows how to keep himself fit, and he's not his game's not suddenly going to drop off after three months. So that's my thought. I don't know about you, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. Um... I mean, thinking, I'm just thinking back on National League players who have called, been called up for GB. I know Weaver got called up a couple of times after he signed for Telford, but again, I think that was more out of necessity than need. Uh, or than, I think there were, that was at times where we had injuries on defence. And, you know, Stevie Lyle got called up a few times when he was in Swindon, but again, that was 
more because we didn't have any netminers. We had Ben Bounds and guys who, you know, Stephen Murphy at the time was had had a lot of injury problems. We had Ben Bounds and guys who weren't starting every week. So Stevie Lyle was your natural option as your backup to Bouncy. And obviously Aaron Nell had that GB call up a few years ago as well, but he was that kind of rarity of a young British player who did get that shot at the national team. So I mean, the, only, the only two I can think of, and I'll happily hold my hands up if I'm wrong, was obviously Aaron got called up. Um, I mean, yeah, Young is probably questionable, but he had a absolute red hot year that year and was was lethal and was a I guess it wasn't a wasn't necessarily a punt like you know we all love Aaron to bits but you don't really often get a call up from what was the EPL but scored 60 goals I think it was that year. And the other one I can think of was when Tony Han was coach and Luke Boothroyd got called up. But I think it was the same tournament. It might it might well have been apart from that I just that like you said it's always been necessity over uh, kind of actually wanting them. Yeah, it, it's always been a case, like you said, we needed experience. We was the guy. We needed a, a goalie. Stevie Lyle was the guy. But with Ben O'Connor, I think he, he's still going to be in that conversation for Pete Russell, despite still, sitting out of the Elite Series. He's still arguably, you know, there's, there's going to be a case that he's in your top 60, regardless of what league he's playing in at this point. At this point, there are, it's not a guarantee because there are some really good up-and-coming D-men in the Elite League, but he's going to be in that conversation of, is Ben O'Connor Gon- in your top six or seven D-men to take to the Worlds in Finland next year? But obviously this is all hypothetical that he does sign with the Steel Dogs. We don't know this. It's not been announced, but it certainly feels to me, and I don't. I think we've this conversation has kind of got to that point, but I think it, it feels to me that that's the way the wind is blowing with that one. But. I still think he's Team GB's most offensive defenceman. I know people will say Mark Richardson, but I, I feel from what I've seen of Mark, he's kind of developed his game a bit more all round the last couple of years. But Ben O'Connor on that quarterback of a power play for Team GB, <laughs> love it or hate it, in the last few years, it's worked. It really is as simple as that. But anyway, it, this is, you know, that's that's kind of Sheffield touched on. Let's uh, let's move down the table one step and uh, and, and talk Telford. Uh, what did you guys make of the Tigers. Let's start with uh, our resident stats guru uh, up on my screen there. So, Joe, over to you with the Tigers. I had to tell someone's read the IHA post on that podcast. Oh, stats guru. That's going to live with me for a while. Um, there were the usual tell for Tigers. They're solid yet unspectacular. They are perfectly suited to what they do. And what they do, they do really well. They've got a solid defensive unit. They've got a solid goal in Brad Day who probably didn't get as much love as he should have done last year. Yet he had a solid first, well, nine, ten games. Well, and the last couple really fell off. I don't know why. It's not just on day, that's on the entire team. The last three games, once it was almost sort of mathematically confirmed that they couldn't win, just sort of stopped. Nothing worked, nothing fired well. And honestly... When that team was going, it was going. We all saw them destroy the Wildcats twice. Like, I I'm still have no idea what happened on that weekend for either the Cats to play that badly or the Tigers to play that well. And to credit of the Tigers, I'd like to think it was the fact that the Selford played that well. Um, you've got to look at it as well that they will have the second import coming for next year. You've got to think of that way. They will get better. Second 
in this tournament probably will feel like a failure, but in the long run, it, it will be a success. They've got a solid unit to build on. Yes, they lose the GB Brits that they had for this tournament, but they have always been good at producing younger talent. You've got to think of the people like Finley Howes, Corey Goodison have come through in the last couple of years. They're going to get better and they will probably still be up there near the top of the table next season. They were, they were also, to, to jump in there, they were also, while they did gain quite a few Elite League players and GB players, they were missing quite a lot of their team from last year as well. They probably missed more big names than most of the teams in this competition. You know, they had guys like Andy McKinney sitting out, Brandon Whistle wasn't there, you know, so there were guys who were big points, Dominic Florian didn't play either, so there were guys who were big point scorers for them last year who didn't play, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what Joe has said there, you know, they're going to be tough to beat, they played well through the tournament, um, obviously that weekend they were outstanding, we weren't, it was a kind of perfect storm of we weren't good either, particularly on the Saturday, we were pretty, it was a really bad display, but then they played really well, and you can only as the old adage goes, you can only beat what's in front of you. I think we 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 played played them a lot better the second time round, obviously. And yeah, after that, they did seem to kind of fall away a little bit. And they lost they lost a couple of games at the end. They lost in um, Romford at the end of the tournament as well. So it kind of it kind of tailed off a little for them, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, but certainly, yeah, they were a really really solid unit and. You know, deserved well deserved second place for them. Yeah, I think you guys have summed it up perfectly. They were they were absolutely everything we expected them to be. They they worked hard, they they won games, they battled hard and they played for sixty minutes every night. It's what that Telford team did all year last year, and that's the reason they were top of the tree come the uh the fifteenth of March when I think it was the actual fourteenth of March when they were confirmed as the the league champions. They yeah, and then and to the, like you said, Tom. To their credit, they they didn't have the duo of Brandon Whistle and Dominic Florian, who were probably their two most offensive guys last year, and they still come through and and came second to a to a superb Sheffield team. If and yeah, they were they were just a solid hockey outfit. They were nothing necessarily spectacular. With an asterisk on that to say they were absolutely spectacular that weekend where they absolutely took the cats apart. We we talked about that. And I know we had, um, I think it was, was Jordan on the show that weekend, I think, that we just talked about it. And it it was the perfect storm, is, is how you described it. We were under par and they were well above par. I will do, obviously, the uh, get out for you there where you say, where we all say solid yet unspectacular. When we say unspectacular, we are not saying guys like Florian, like Silverthorne, like Brad Day, like Scott McKenzie. We're talking the guys that do the work under the radar. The Danny Roses, the said Corey Goodsons, Finley House, the Sam Watkinses, the Andy McKinneys, the guys that go under the radar that don't put up the big numbers, but chip in when they can and when they do, and they do it well. It's something they did last year as well. Everyone had a go at saying, like, well, Telford aren't the best team on paper. No, they weren't. They were the best team on ice. That was the important thing. They got scoring through all three lines. Yeah, that's that's exactly basically the point I was going to make. I think it's an absolute credit to the work that Tom Watkins has done with that team, particularly in the aftermath of, you know, the kind of boom and bust at the end of the EPL years. And I don't think it's harsh to say to the Telford fans that obviously, you know, there was 
there was there was a something of a mess to clear up after that. But you know he's done a fantastic job there, and he he's got put together a team that works so hard, and they have got the talent and they've got the hardworking players, and the balance is just there, and that's why they were so good last year. No one on that team ever takes a night off, and if you you know, you're never going. If, if you take a night off, if you if you if you don't turn up and play well, you're going to get beaten, and you're going to get beaten well. And even if you do turn up and play well, you're going to be in for a battle all night. So, yeah, you've, you've got to you've got to you've got to hand it to, to them. I think they've done they, they've done you know a great job in Telford. They're going to be competitive year after year. I think in this in the national league. Yeah, let's um let's skip the team that finished third for now. Uh, obviously. We're a Cats podcast, but we'll come back to the Cats at the end. But uh, uh, the Bees finishing in fourth. Uh, a tight battle for the... I don't know if you want to say a tight battle for fourth place or a tight battle for the Wooden Spoon, but uh, the Bees and the Raiders. Talk to me about it. <sighs> Where do we start? <sighs> I'm going to I'm gonna try and be very careful how I phrase this. I don't want this. I don't want us to be the guy that says, "Okay, don't weigh too much on what's happened here because of it's not a proper season. All the teams are messed up, but something has clearly gone horribly wrong there over the last two months. There is no way that that team should have been that far out of it for the majority of it. Um, the good things, obviously, we'll go through it first. You got twelve games of Vanya Antonov back at that level, and I saw him destroy South One last year. And he came back up and he destroyed people in the National League, as always. I think you have to have a lot of credit as well for the use of Yuha Lindgren from Slough. Mm-hmm. Just again, Doug Shepard's always been a very good at bringing through younger players. We saw it in Tom Amazing Stoke. We're starting to see it slowly but surely in Bratnell. Um, the not so well, the not so good kind of good you've got imports coming back we all know that Dominic Gabay and Roman Malinik are basically essentially already signed if they want to do it for next year Gabay was possibly up there for signing of the season last year just in terms of what he did in the 30 odd games he had but the bad one that I will point out and obviously I haven't got the numbers in front of me because I made a point of it because it was so shockingly bad I couldn't help myself to believe it Power play, 9.52%, 4 for 42. Penalty kill, 19 of 43. Sorry, 24 of 43, 55.81. I mean... What happened there for those the special teams units to be that bad? Something either went wrong and people say, oh, they haven't played in a year. Neither did all the other teams. And they still had better units than that. They had around average units in the end and people some people say well they weren't used to the rink slough is as close to a replica of the hive as you can get the boards do the same thing the rinks almost the same size something went wrong and we'll never know what it was i mean i'm this is obviously a Wildcats podcast, and we don't want to be sitting here saying ha bracknell look, look how bad you were because you know that's gonna you know that's not what we want to do but I think there is a legitimate point here that for whatever reason and yeah there are there are obviously 
you know, it is, there has been a lot of upheaval with the bees organization. You know, they did have a lot of guys coming in, et cetera, et cetera. But we said it when we were all on, we all did a podcast before the Wildcats played Bratton in week two. And we all said, a little bit concerned maybe about the experience on lack of experience on D, given the kind of strength of the other rosters. And, you know, would that you know have an impact? And I think that possibly hasn't helped the penalty kill is not having you've not got your a Neil Lydiard or a Stevie Whitfield or someone who's on defense who's really been there and done that. You've got Stuart Monger and Harvey Stead who are both solid at this level. And then you've got a lot of younger guys who perhaps aren't used to playing those big minutes on special teams, certainly against guys, you know, like Aaron Mell and Thomas Malazinski or Ben O'Connor and Liam Kirk or whoever. Um, and yeah, I think I think Bratton will be disappointed with how how it went. I think they'd have liked to be closer to the other teams. Um, and yeah, they've got there's definitely there's definitely things that they'll want to to build on and work. They'll want to be more competitive come September because I think right now, and I, I certainly you see kind of got it a sense of it on social media was there was a lot of kind of downheartedness amongst their fans a little um I think understandably because it just it felt it felt disjointed all the way through really from the bees and yeah just not really sure as you say Joe what really happened yeah I, th- I think the uh the the epitome of that bees cup I kind of felt feel goes back to that that last game uh, they, the last Cats home game against the, the Bees, it was the, the 9-3. It was like out of nowhere, you just, the Cats raced into a 3-0 lead and it was literally three shots and three goals. Like they, they pulled Danny Milton who hadn't made a save through the opening two minutes, 20 seconds or something like that. And they then were so far back at 5-0, they then got that goal back early in the, the the second and it just kind of fell apart again and it kind of felt like they were always playing behind the eight ball of being a couple of goals down and like you said Joe those have had the special team numbers you just gotta I was I was told once that you always kind of want to aim for about a hundred percent if your power plays at twenty percent and your penalty kills at eighty percent then all round you kind of it's it's kind of keeping itself you may you're even, but to be at, I mean, what you combine those two together, and that's what fifty odd percent. Uh, sixty-five point three. It's nowhere near where you want, the coach, you want to be if you're winning games. We, oh, the three of us on podcasts, in rinks, to people we know on social media, wherever we've all said special teams is absolutely huge, and to be that, just yeah, to be at nine percent is on a power play. It's just it's not gonna win you games. I'm 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 just gonna bite in with a cheeky plug for myself there, obviously, for the season when it comes through to it. I will have the special team stats updated on a weekly basis on nhlstats.wordpress.com. There we go. And that was smooth as, smooth as. <laughs> um but on the flip side of that, uh the Raiders, I I I kind of start this up off on this one. I really liked what they did in this this spring cup. They they signed pretty much the roster you expected them to have. They openly acknowledged and came out and said, yes, we're probably going to be not whipping boys, but we're going to be near the bottom of the table. And 
we're treating this as an experience to get our young guys who they've got some very, very good young hockey players, like we've all said, um, game time against some of the best and biggest names in British hockey and guys like Matthew Myers, Ben O'Connor, uh, Ben Lake, Jonathan Phillips, like they, they weren't expecting to play those names, that roster when they signed it. Uh, and I thought they had a really good account of themselves. And I know that when we played them, we had some really tough games. And like you said, that kind of, I was pleased for them on that last uh, home game of the season for them to, uh, to, to beat the Tigers. Cause that was a real big, I think that could be a really big win for them going into what hopefully will be a pretty normal September onward season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I really liked, I really like what they've done with that roster. Um, they, they've got some, as you say, some really talented young guys coming through. They've got a few experienced heads in there. Um, you've got two, you know, talented young netminders who are, you know, they're they're, they're, they're going to de- that's going to help their development playing against those quality guys, even if they didn't get necessarily the results they wanted out of the tournament. And they got better as the tournament went on. I think that's the important thing to look at from the Raiders' perspective. Yeah, they've come, you know, they haven't had a massive amount of success in the win column, but the wins they did get came later on in the tournament, which shows progression for me. And that's what you want to see. You don't want to be seeing a team start with two wins and then nothing. You know, you want to be seeing an improvement week from week from week. And I think that's what Sean, you know, Sean Easton will be, you know, most pleased with was there was you know some genuine progression from that team and yeah like I think they're going to be they're going to be in a really they're always going to be a really tough team to beat particularly in their own rink um we said it you know in our preview for the Raiders podcast then but you know they are going to be tough in that rink and you know that experience is going to really help their young players and I think we're seeing it now with some of those boys a couple of those boys and um, Ben Solder and Harry Gulliver, both being called up to the Elite Series with Manchester. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good development opportunity for them. And it'll be really interesting to see how they do moving forward. I think you've got to ask, obviously, what they do next year in regards to can they actually get off to a good start? They struggled last year. They were really slow starters last year. They were really slow starters in the Spring Cup. But as you say, they got better. If they can even have a remotely close to 500 start first two months of the season and build from there, they could be contenders. Like I said, the core they signed last year it stayed the same through this. It's really good. And in that rink, they are phenomenal. But one, one teeny tiny thing, and I will say is, on defence, are they possibly a little bit too keen going forward? They, they do put up a lot of... They get a lot of points in the defence. And honestly, I've said to you boys several times before, in my head, a perfect defence has at least one defenceman who's going to put up points, one who will chip in with around 15, 20, and then a lot of guys who will basically rely on just being solid defensive players. Their defence... They had more points in their defence than every other team apart from Sheffield. Now, is, could it be that the fact that they're just going too far forward and somewhat leaving whichever goal they went with James Winderbank exposed at the back which caused some of the issues at the start of the tournament or am I just reading too much into it? I mean I'm not a coach so none of us are so we can't 100% answer that question but I would agree with that I know you've got to look at the way they play and they do play 
quite a, I suppose, at times, a bit of a boom and bust style of they get into high scoring kind of seven, six type games. And yeah, and that's really entertaining for us fans. We love those sort of games, but it's not necessarily the way that you're going to win trophies. And we've seen that we've seen that from Cats teams in the past as well, where we've tried that boom and bust style and it hasn't worked. And we've seen it from other teams in the EPL years, particularly and Peterborough had it for a few years in EPL, where before Slava Gulagov came, they were playing, you know, high risk, high reward hockey, but it wasn't necessarily giving them a ton of wins because at the end of the day, there's only so much your net minding can take when you're facing 50 or 60 shots a night because everyone's piling forwards. So Maybe that's something to look at, but I mean, I think again, they've got some some talented youngsters on that decor, and they're going to learn. You know, they're going to learn over time when to get forward, when to stay back, and possibly a bit of inexperience there has has cost them a bit of naivety at times has cost them. But yeah, I think that it's something that Sean Easton, I'm sure, will be looking at for September. But equally, I suppose you don't want to change the way your team plays too much because you want them to play their natural game. But it is yeah, finding those moments to go forwards and trying to help protect your goalies a bit. It's interesting you say that in terms of the stat there, Joe, that they had the most points from the D apart from Sheffield, when you consider that arguably their most offensive defenseman, Dan Scott, wasn't there for the best part of the tournament anyway. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting. It's one I hadn't picked up on, but, yeah, I think generally, like I said at the the stop, we're just talking about the Raiders there. they, They did everything... I would say they did everything they expected to do and a little bit more. They they knew they were going to not struggle, but they knew they were going to be at that end of the table rather than the top end. But they, they competed, they played well, and they, they'll be in a good spot for that come September when you consider, consider that there's going to be teams in and around them won't have played hockey for the best part of 18 months. And that core roster in the Raiders will... Possibly, and I'd, I'd say this to a point being slightly biased here, with the exception of maybe Swindon, that core in the, with the Raiders is going to be what plays in September. Sheffield played well, but the majority of that team will not be on the ice in September with the same team. Similarly with Telford and again with the Beats, that Raiders core will be ready to go and they might even be the most prepared team of the lot come puck drop when the national comes back. Absolutely. But there's one more team to talk about. We're a, we're a Swindon podcast. The third place team, uh, we love it when they win. We hate it when they lose. And they they gave us both ends of the spectrum over over the course of the Spring Cup. Uh, boys, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the Cats. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been lovely to, I think, realistically, in our hearts, you know, it would have been nice. We know it would have been nice to win, but I think we probably all kind of knew deep down that Sheffield were going to win the, this tournament from the start. Even if you didn't want to admit it, everyone wants to say, yeah, our team's going to win. But realistically, you looked at those rosters at the start and you said something would have had to go horribly wrong for the Steel Dogs to not, you know, take home the title. Um, it would have been good to, to obviously get second. You know, we were, we were, we weren't a million miles away and there is that, you know, what if, I think from that weekend against Telford of what if we played a bit better? What if, you know, we'd not gone 4-0 four, four down in, in the first 15 minutes of the home game on the Saturday? You know, what if we'd been a bit more clinical against Sheffield in the opening, in the opening game? 
what if we had maybe five on three shorthanded goal in Telford? <laughs> exactly. What if we hadn't given up a five on three shorthanded goal in the away game? You know, it's it's those little little things where thing things just didn't quite click at times for the cats. But and obviously we know we've said it before. This is not going to be relevant in terms of where the league is in September because teams are going to look very different. You know, the chances are the Wildcats aren't going to have some of the players who play for us. You know, there, there, there's there's a few guys there from Cardiff. Um, obviously, Jordan Kelsall as well from Nottingham. Potentially, there are other guys who were roster players for the Cats who won't be back next year for other opportunities, etc. So, we know the team is going to look different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think beyond, with the exception of that Telford game, the home the home performances were very good. Even the game we lost against Sheffield, the performance I thought was very good. It was just the dogs had that little bit of extra quality on the day. And obviously the away games were a bit more patchy. And I think that is, I, I don't have the stats to hand, but um, it felt like an issue from last season as well, that the away form was just a lot more up and down than the home form. We know it's difficult to go on the road. You're, you're always, you, you're never going to be necessarily the favourites going on a road game, but it did feel like we made some slow starts on the road, which really cost us. Um, but I think that's something that that's possibly one thing I'd really want to look at for next season is finding a way to get to start a little bit quicker on the road. It's, it's, it's difficult. After, we know it's difficult going to places like Sheffield where you're on, on a coach for five hours and you almost you get off and it's warm up and it's hard. But yeah, there, there is that element that I think there were a couple of games where we fell behind early in the away games and we're always chasing the game after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were some good, really good performances individually and by the team, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now and let one of you, you talk. Um, so firstly, what you said, Tom, uh, home record was 4-2-0, and four two and oh, away record was 2-4-0. and oh. um, Yeah, the away games definitely felt like I say, patchy, maybe they didn't turn up, at least it didn't start well. There is a popular video that does rounds, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but if you've seen one, it uh, features former AC Milan footballer Gennaro Gattuso. And if you know that one, you probably know the video I mean. There were times where the Wildcats were fantastic. They were back to their brilliant best. See that last home game against the Tigers. There were also times where they looked completely inept see that weekend against the Tigers and the first well I would say the second period in the first game against Sheffield where Liam Kirk just decided no I'm going to do everything and murdered us again as I said we don't want to draw too much onto it this a complete anomaly of a season but there were times where it felt like we didn't exactly put together a complete 60 minutes mm. there probably times we didn't feel like it, we could put together a complete 40 minutes during games. It very much felt like we'd have one period on, one period off. And that's something, obviously, I don't want to say we're, used, we're not used to because there was always the odd game where we do that. But I feel like it was more noticeable when it was only a 12-game series. Yeah. Um, also, the good point of it, we have to say, like I say, players that did turn up. Kelsall was fantastic in his return. Ballant Pekosdi, I've got numbers here, 7 plus 7. Six points on the power play, three and three. Looked a gem. If anything, probably annoyingly, he may have done too well and gets nipped up by an elite league team, like he has done for the elite series. 
God, I hope not, because that would really be useful. Um, the one I would say that obviously I know me being the outsider to the group, as I said, I don't get to go to as many games as I'd like to nowadays, is I was a little bit worried by the defence in this series. You've got a 49 goals conceded in the 12 games. Obviously, it's just a tick over four goals a game. And we did, they didn't exactly put up a lot going forward the other way either. Now, obviously, I know it's very much me being me and saying that I like teams, obviously, can do a bit of everything. And it felt like the defence in the tournament weren't doing much in the attacking end. And in the defensive end, at times, seemed a bit anonymous. I don't want to say that it's something to worry about now. It's obviously can be easily fixed with a full 52-game season, but it's a little worrying because obviously they're not getting any older in certain cases. Or any younger, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I wish they weren't getting... We, we all wish we weren't getting older. We all do. Um, no, I mean, I'll, I'll follow up on that. If, if that's right. So, I mean, Alan Bacozzi, 100% agree. I mean, he's been an absolute find. And obviously, we all know Alan now new balance before this year because of OHA but I don't think any of us necessarily expected him to jump straight into that role and kind of almost basically replace Eddie Bebris you know we all said how do you replace Eddie Bebris turns out the answer is Balin Pekonsi so he's done a superb job and hopefully he's back because it would be really nice to watch him in the flesh before he gets his chance to move on to bigger and better things so it would be lovely to see him back for a season and get to watch him from inside an ice rink for the defence I know Ben and I discussed this at quite length on the um, episode after the Telford weekend. And obviously there were times where I, I, I think defensively we got a little bit exposed. I think obviously part of that is the fact that there were more top-end forwards in this competition. Certainly, you know, you're not going to come run up against Liam Kirk every week when you when you're um, in a normal National League season. So that's not going to help. I think there were times where it, it was noticeable when Josh Batch came back in the lineup. And I know, again, we're not going to have, that's probably not going to have Josh Batch in September. So that's not something that's really going to be helpful then. But I think it wasn't, he, he did add a noticeable calming head to the defence when he was around, particularly against teams like Telford and Sheffield, who had those real top-end guys and I think certainly the, the, the Telford game that we won um, on that Friday night, Josh Batch was absolutely outstanding in my view. That game, he was the best. It was the best defensive performance from any wildcat over the tournament. And yeah, I think that is an element of, we, I've, said it, I've said it myself, I'd like to see us get like kind of a puck-moving offensive defenseman to, to put in that top four because that will help balance out the pairs going forwards. Um, you've got a pairing that works with, you know, Sam Godfrey. Can, have, can you get one that works with Tyler Plews? Then you've got a third pairing there as well. So it'll be, and we also obviously know that Neil Lydiard is not getting any younger. And we've touched on that as well. There's got to be in the back of Aaron Nell's mind, some kind of idea of succession planning at this point, I'd have thought. Um, I mean, not that saying that Neil Lydiard is going to retire anytime soon because the man is a wizard and seems to be able to, you know, continue to continue to go forever. But I think I was, yeah. I was just about to say, I'm I'm not buying it. Like like Lids, I've I've told him before, like face to face, he's only got about I mean, it depends if you're gonna count this year or not. I think if you counted it, he's about 
three, maybe four years off a testimonial in Swindon to go with the testimonial he's already had in Guildford. Um, I that guy will be playing till he's mid seventies. I'm calling it. But yeah, but yeah um, I mean, in terms of the tournament, I think there were plenty of positive signs as well. And um, I think yeah, McCarthy was excellent. Um, Reed Sayers and Jack Goodchild put in really good performances and possibly giving themselves a really good chance to for more ice time in in September. Certainly, Reed Sayers, I think I would be surprised if he wasn't playing big minutes next year with the way that that team is going to be built. Um, I would I would expect him to potentially even get a shot at top six minutes next year. Um, Chris Jones, Jordan Kelson, and Reed Sayers were an, out, were an outstanding line towards the end of that tournament when they once that line got put together I mean it wasn't we didn't have it at the start we obviously Reed was playing four five minutes then hadn't quite earned that time CJ wasn't there for the first couple of weekends until Floyd Taylor got injured and then he came back in so that was an outstanding line and yeah I think as a you know those guys really really impressed um Renny Marr had some up and downs, but I think that goes with, again with the team in front of him. Like Brad Day, we mentioned that, you know, when the team are performing, you know, we know that Rennie's going to give them the chance to win most nights when they're not performing. You know, it's always going to be hard for the netminder. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are plenty of positives. There are also obviously plenty of things to work on. The other player who I think needs a mention because he got a lot of criticism, particularly early on, and that was Thomas Malazinski, who came good as the tournament went on, I think. Mean, we were both fairly critical of him initially, but he, towards the end of the tournament, he looked a lot closer to the player we know he can be. And I think that's a really positive sign um, going into September that, you know, if you can get that that version of Thomas Malazinski on a consistent basis, you're, he's going to give you a chance to get a couple of goals every night. And that's always going to help. Do you know, I think you, between the two of you there, you've literally taken every single word and line out of my mouth and, and summed it up perfectly. Yeah, I think... It it kind of it was what it was. The boys, like the uh, the the video Joe kind of referred to at the start, like they they were they were lights out at times. They they were superb. That game against Telford, the four one win, was possibly one of the best games I've seen us play against Telford in a good two or three years. Uh, we we kind of there was no lying about it. We struggled in the last the last full year, the the first year of the national when it was the first versus second, it felt like every time we played them, we just weren't that good enough. But that, that game against Telford was was awesome. And and we, we played well. That wasn't necessarily Telford playing completely badly. We, we played well. I know, I think I spoke to one of the Telford players in the first period break who felt that it was very much, they weren't playing well enough and that's why we were winning. I personally didn't agree with that. I thought whilst Telford may have had the night off, we we played really well that night. And and the flip side was, you look at the game two weeks prior and they were superb and, and we really weren't that weekend. And we've talked about that uh, a lot on this podcast over the last few episodes. But yeah, generally, I think we can be disappointed we weren't closer to that second spot. But at the end of the day, we we that doesn't mean we had a, a bad tournament. Aaron's learned, like you said, Tom, a lot about what the trio of Valent Picozzi, Reed Sayers and Jack Goodchild can do. And not just in a national league, in a national league where you're playing against elite league players every night. It it, it really was awesome to see those that young trio uh, take a step in the direction they have. And I I certainly think we're going to see a lot more of them. Obviously, absolute credit to Ballant for getting 
the shot of the Elite League with the Steelers for the Elite Series. I don't think he's iced a game yet. I know he's had a few warm-ups, but it's only going to be good experience for him being on the ice as often as he is with the Steelers and similarly with, with all the other guys that are up there. Again, Jordan had a fantastic tournament. Like you said there, Thomas came Thomas came good in the end and it it was it was good fun uh, to, to watch the cats over the that twelve those to twelve game stretch, even if some of them weren't exactly the the results we wanted it to be. But that, that kind of brings us to the end and the that was the spring cup uh, and it was confirmed a couple of weeks ago, or a couple, a couple of weeks ago last week, I think it was that that that's it until September from a national perspective. There won't be any more hockey for the for the Wildcats until September. So just before we wrap up this one, what's your kind of reaction to the news that this is it for the next three or four months for the Cats? Um, obviously, obviously, it's a shame to only have really a yeah a sixteen game season as it's been. We've obviously the streaming series as well. You know, we've had 16 Wildcats games all year. You you want to see that's not what you want to be seeing in a in a hockey season. And obviously it's is a it's a complete completely unique season that will go down, you know, as a as last tricks in the history of the of, of British ice hockey of that year where really nobody could play. Um, and, but it was lovely to see the boys on the ice for a few weeks, you know, towards, you know, just to get some games. And um, yeah, it was really, it was, it was nice. I think it's probably the right decision to, to now stop and wait to, through, to, through to September as much as it would have been nice to see some more hockey. Realistically, you're probably not going to be getting more teams involved at the from what from the noises I've heard, so it would have been repeating what we've already done, and there's only an out so much of it. Obviously, guys are going to start moving off to GB and the like, and also we're now at the point where you would normally start not an off season, so it seems a nice kind of point to take that break, have a summer, build the rosters for September, let's get back at it, and hopefully with some fans in the fans in the um, stands from September onwards. Um, yeah, I think that's. That's my view. I think it's the right, right call. I think, and yeah, we can just start looking at what the rosters are going to look like, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of rumours and discussion to talk about over the summer. Yeah, like Tom said, I think it's the right call to stop now. Um, it, it felt like if they'd have carried on, it would have been hockey for hockey's sake. It would be we're allowed to play it now, so why don't we just keep going and going and going? And at which point no one ends up winning. Like Tom said, this was the natural end of the season. Easter weekend, the weekend before was the end of it, is usually the curtain down on the entire season. It's usually the time where everyone is crammed into pubs in Coventry, celebrating a playoff weekend, whether or not your team is there or whether your team isn't there, or whether you uh, are on a different podcast winning a quiz for three years in a row. Yeah. Love you, Ben Knight. Um <laughs> There is, there is that sense. Obviously, what could have been. Obviously, if we had a proper season and you know a full fifty-two game slate, but obviously it's it's not going to be a proper season. It wasn't a proper year, like Tom said. It's going to have a little asterisk on it. You can obviously watch through those sixteen games. You can pick apart to your heart's content, but in the end, they are going to be an anomaly. You will not see that standard of player here next year. You will not see the 
level or rustiness of play next year by the time we get around to it. Whenever that starts, be it August, September, October, who knows? You're going to see National League hockey back at its best. It's going to have the two, we're going to have the two imports back. You're going to have all those names that you have missed from names you haven't even realized you've missed. People like Sam Zajak at Leeds, people like like teams like the Hull Pirates. You're going to see sexy Kulikov hockey from Peterborough again. You're going to see all those things back in rinks. And we need to see fans back. If you look at all the major sports that are going ahead in America right now, if it's a case of you have to show proof that you're vaccinated, do it. If you have to take a test before you get in, if you haven't been, do it. Because by God, sport hits different when there are fans in the stands, chanting, cheering, just enjoying the occasion. Me and Ben will notice it, possibly from working in the rinks now at Nancy Stadiums. Players sure as hell notice it as well. So let's just do whatever we can to make sure come September time there is a packed link centre for opening night or as close to it as we're allowed to under government regulations. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, that is the best and most passionate response to a question about if I, if you agree with the league starting or stopping, I think I've ever heard. That was that was up there with some of the best Sky Sports, BBC Sport montages you're going to get. That that was that was superb, Joe. That I, I tip my hat to you. That was that was superb. I am available for commentary gigs, bar mitzvahs, all holidays, anything in between. Please just drop me a line on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely cut that bit out and use it for your portfolio. The commentary was superb, but that was that was that was fantastic. So yeah, that like like the guys have said that that really is the end of the the 2021 season. Yeah. It's been absolutely bizarre and at times absolutely brilliant um it it's been yeah it, it's always going to have an asterisk and it's one that certainly nobody is ever going to forget so i'm just going to kind of start wrapping things up before i thank you both i am just going to say uh a little shout out to wildcats netminder tyler perry uh there's obviously been a he's put something on instagram this week i'm not going to say what it was but we're thinking of you, buddy, and uh, we hope to see you back on the ice uh, in September, uh, back in that 62 shirt. So, Tyler, if you are listening, uh, you know where we are if you need anything. And there's plenty of episodes in the back catalogue to listen to if you do fancy it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, upcoming, again, thanks, you two, for uh, for all joining us again, as always. It's, it's been good fun. We will be back in a few weeks. Uh, we will be getting an interview lined up for the next episode, a player. Uh, not quite sure who yet, but we're going to rack our brains together and get get a guest on, and uh, we'll get another guest on and and have a have a chat about not just the Spring Cup, but plenty of hockey before that, I'm sure. So, Joe, just before uh, we disappear again, uh, this is the time where we hand over to you and say, let's have another plug. Uh, tell us where to find your stuff uh, at Twitter at nihl stats or online at nihlstats.wordpress.com. Obviously, we have coverage still of the. Three Rivers Cup from the North, which is still going on. You can watch all the games on YouTube. We'll have all the links up there. And the newly announced Rugged Stock Cup, which I believe is going on in the South. Uh, they'll all be set up. They're all ready to go. Uh, we're preparing for 21-22. If there is anything you'd like to see on the website, anything you want to change, please just let me know. I'm always happy to take on advice and suggestions. But, yeah, other than that, enjoy your summer. Yeah. Tom, any uh, final thoughts from yourself? Not really. Um, yeah, just to you know, second, you know, second the kind of 
um, shout out there to Tyler Perry. You know, you know, as I say, we're all you know thinking of thinking of him at the moment. But um, yeah, definitely, um, it's going to be we're gonna, it's going to be it's going to be good. It's good. It's good. It's hopefully you know touch wood things stay on the track that they appear to be on at the moment, and we could we've got some light at the end of the tunnel and come September. We'll be back in those rinks and yeah, you know, watching watching our teams again and yeah, at least at least now we've kind of got the kind of spring summer evenings to look forward to and hopefully a bit of sunshine, you know, a bit less snow, a bit more sunshine. That's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for now. So yeah, well, boys, again, thank you for taking your time out and, and to chat Spring Cup. Uh, like I said, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, uh, episode seventeen, and. If there's any suggestions, uh, any listeners out there have uh, what you like us doing, what we don't, we don't want to hear more of, uh, chuck it over to us. Uh, we're on Twitter at the Wildcast. You can send a message to us either us on Facebook or hopefully in September you'll be able to catch us at a rink and say what you do with it, Mike. But uh, yeah, we'll have plenty of content throughout the summer to keep you uh, back in the world of the Wildcats. So last thing for me to say is, uh, as always, everyone stay safe. Uh, Enjoy the summer and we will speak to you in a couple of weeks time.